So I'd like to um, begin this talk with um, something we've, I feel like we've said it quite a lot. <laughs> I apologize if it sounds like a repetition. And hopefully you will feel the value of this repetition. So I'd like to, to start with that, again, that acknowledgement that any moment of experience that we have as human beings, any moment of experience that we have as human beings is felt or is categorized as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And that from there, from that initial, quite subtle, usually unconscious, unseen categorization or feeling, there's a reaction which is equally, usually unconscious. And that reactions, that reaction, which will be typically fall into the pushing away, the trying to get or to hold on to, or the zoning out, the spacing out. That process is going on all the time. It's going on all the time in the human being going on all the time. We're just unaware of it. Unaware of it. And so that arising of experience, the categorization and the reactivity, that kind of process, I'd like to, um, to explore that a little bit more today and particularly to explore... Um, both where it typically leads, especially when we're not aware, not conscious of it, and also to explore the possibility that we have with seeing it, with bringing it into awareness, the possibility of freedom through seeing this process and redefining our relationship or realigning our relationship to it. And so one thing that's really important to see, and it may sound, it may sound kind of uh, depressing, um, but one thing that's really important to see with this process is how the process itself, within the process itself, there is suffering. Yeah, so often the language we will use is that it leads to suffering. You know, it brings suffering. But actually, and, and it's something that I think, you know, certainly some people have reported already seeing to a degree over these days, is that we actually can see the suffering in that process itself. The arising of something and experience, the labeling of it, and then the, the clinging the pushing away, the getting pulled towards or the zoning out that, that arises in response, the reaction. And so what, what do I mean? 
So let's take a, you know, just a, a common example from our days here. You know, for whatever reason, we're sitting here in meditation and um, the experience is unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, there's tiredness, there's restless, restlessness, there's pain in the body. For whatever reason, the experience is unpleasant. And the first thing we'll usually notice is that feeling of really wanting this to end. You know, and if we're here in the hall, it probably will be fixated on this object here. You know, like we've said before, when is the bell going to ring? You know, I know I've used this example before, but I'm glad you're still laughing. It's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. And so we look at that example and ask the question, where is the suffering? Where is the suffering? What is the suffering rooted in? Where is it coming from? And, and, you know, if we're honest, there, there is, you know, quite a clear sense of suffering in that moment, yeah? Of that's like, you know, ring the bell already, you know, that, yeah, real build-up. But where is the suffering? Is it, you know, in the fact that we're sitting here and, you know, we can't go out until the bell rings? Is, is that in itself such a, such a bad thing, you know? Or is it actually in that build up, as Nathan was speaking up yesterday, that build up of tension through that process of pushing away whatever the experience is, boredom, restlessness, pain, whatever it is, that not wanting that or wanting something else, you know, wanting to be out there, (laughs) wanting to do walking meditation, that's much better, or wanting, you know, whatever it is. Is it, is, where is the suffering? Is it the actual event of the meditation lasting longer than is pleasant for me, or is in in that tension that's building up. So it's it is worthwhile to, to look at this and to look at it yourself, you know, to really explore your own experience when there's a sense of of dukkha, of suffering, unhappiness, dis-ease, discomfort. What is it actually rooted in? Is it in the thing? Is it even in the reactivity to the thing? Is it in the build-up? And can I see the suffering that's there in that process, that suffering that's there in that building of tension and contraction in the being? Can I see can I see the suffering? And it's really important for us to see it again, not in order to get depressed. It's actually not depressing. <laughs> it's not in order to get depressed, but it's actually in order to, to really um, get to know this and to really absorb this into our being. And so that seeing is really important and seeing it in our own experience. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're probably, you know, all understanding it intellectually. But the difference between the, the intellectual understanding and the actual experiential understanding and seeing of this clearly is, is, quite, is quite a difference. And so it's really, really helpful to look at it, to look at the process and to, um, to, to have that experiential understanding. So one way of looking that can really help us in seeing this and also Like I said at the beginning, it's not just seeing the suffering, but also seeing the freedom that's possible 
in, in here, in this process. One way of looking that can really help us is looking at contraction, looking at tension that's associated with this process. Noticing it, becoming sensitive to it. So whenever we feel this, um, I think I said this once, this push-pull, um, you know, to, to, to say it in a short way, the push-pull zoning out kind of play out, whenever we feel that, looking for the contraction. So seeing, is that where is the contraction around this right now? Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I really want to get out of here. You know, I really want the bell to ring so that this is over and I can leave. Where is the contraction? Or is there contraction? Is there contraction in the body, in the mind? Sometimes kind of what we would call kind of in the felt sense. You know, we can't quite say if it's the mind or the body. <laughs> But there's a sense of contractedness somewhere. And the awareness, you know, if you're doing any kind of, of practice with a, with a wider awareness, if you're doing that, you, it's quite, it can often be quite easy to notice because suddenly we notice or when we turn the attention we see that the awareness is shrinking around something. So it's a contraction around something. So that's one thing that we can that we can do. So we, we notice that there's some kind of pushing or pulling or zoning out, and then we look for the contraction. And once we see the contraction, we can do a little bit more. One more thing we can do is to notice what happens when we bring the attention to the contraction itself. What happens when we turn our attention, bring our attention to the contraction itself? And then we can also work with it in, in the ways that we've been doing over the days here. Yeah, I'll ju- and I'll just I'll repeat them because, you know, I, I for one need them to be repeated. So... We can, as we've been doing, you know, we find tension, we find contraction, and we just work with relaxing it in the body. Yeah, either through using the breath or the breath energy, or directly through relaxing the body itself. Another way that we can work with it that we've been doing is the widening of awareness. Yeah, if we widen the awareness and it shrinks, it contracts, if we just expand the awareness, widen the awareness, either the whole body awareness or working with the breath as energy through the body, that can also um, shift the tension to some degree. Another way we can work with this is the Vedana practice, just the noticing of the pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. Yeah, just that. It seems so um, simplified, but just that. Or the impermanence practice that we've been doing today. You know, just noticing the, the the changing nature of what may seem at first glance to be solid and unchanging and permanent. 
So all these ways, you know, all these ways of, of easing the tension, of relaxing the contraction, that they're, they're all ways of doing this. And that, of course there's more ways, they're not the only one. Yeah, but they're all ways of just working with that contraction and relaxing it to some degree. And when I was talking about the, the physical relaxing, it reminded me of um, something I read recently um, from Ajahn Amaro, the abbot of Amravati. And um, he teaches, um, and his teacher Ajahn Sumedhu ta- taught this relaxation of the body as a real um, real way of working with um, with difficult difficult emotions, difficult states of being. And he, he says that he read um, somewhere that um, actually that's how Valium works, Valium, the, you know, the, the drug, uh, which is used to help people relax. So the way um, it works is not actually on the mind, it actually is a muscle relaxant, it actually works on the body, on the physical body. I'm, He's not sure that it's true when he when he wrote it, and so I can't say it's. But that's what he that's what he had heard. That the way this drug action. Every time I tell this, I I think that I need to go and look it up before I tell this again. But so it's actually that if the body is relaxed, there's no contraction in the body. If the body's relaxed, the mind cannot hold on to tension either. It's it's mind boggling, <laughs> you know. But that. You know, so it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. And so in any kind of situation like this, you know, when we find ourselves in this kind of sense of trappedness, contraction, contractedness, if we pay attention to the process and then we use one of these techniques, one of these ways to relax the, the contraction, It shifts the experience. It changes the experience. And I want to give a, I want to give an example. Um, Again, you know, I'm sure everyone's had this experience. So, again, we're sitting in here, and there's some experience of body pain. Doesn't need to be acute, but there's some experience of physical body pain. And that, if if we if the mind is quiet enough. And we pay attention. Sometimes we can see this also with rewinding backwards. There will be that um, labeling. There will be that categorization of unpleasant. Yeah, there's some some form of body pain, and it will be categorized as unpleasant, the vedana. And then immediately there'll be the pushing away. The pushing away creates contraction. Yeah, the I don't want this creates contraction in the being. The contraction itself has a Vedana. Again, contraction it's, itself is unpleasant. Yeah. The contraction and the unpleasantness, I'll just finish and then we'll go back. The contraction and the unpleasantness and the pushing away solidify the pain. Yeah, they actually make the pain both more solid and often actually more painful because there's more tension around the tension if we see pain as some form of tension in the body. And it also solidifies the aversion. Yeah, The contraction and the unpleasant of the contraction makes the aversion stronger, feeds the, 
feeds the, the aversion. And so then we get more contraction. <laughs> so it's layers on layers on layers. And what we end up with is a lot more intensity of the experience and a lot less space. Yeah, If we think of more and more layers of aversion and contraction, aversion and contraction, aversion and contraction. Yes, Shanika, you had a question. So the contraction is the physicalness in the body. It, it also, yeah, it, it, most, most of the time it will also be physical, but it can also be, sometimes it's just the awareness. But usually it'll be both. It can be, it'll be in the mind, it'll be in the body. And sometimes it'll be more easy, it'll be easier for us to notice it in one place and sometimes in the other. Yeah? So if we're in that situation, yeah, there's body pain, and really important to say, it's not that the body pain isn't real, (laughs) yeah? You know, that's not what we're talking about. There's body pain, then there's that um, categorization, unpleasant the contraction of the I don't want you. And that keeps building up and building up. If we are able to then notice all of this going on, look for tension in the body and relax the body, what does that do? Increases the space. And again, don't just believe me. Try this out for yourself. It increases the space. The space has shrunk because of the contraction and the aversion. It increases the space and it decreases intensity. And that kind of unfolds the process backwards. Yeah, The more we can relax the contraction, the less aversion there is, the less pushing away there is. So that's one way. Another, you know, another one of the techniques that we've spoken about, widening the awareness. You know, what happens if I widen the awareness, if I stretch the awareness? Again, I'm creating, I'm creating space. So the pain would still be there, but instead of the whole awareness shrinking around the pain, which is what happens around anything unpleasant, I've got the wide awareness. Yeah? So again, less build-up. And the wide awareness isn't unpleasant. Yeah? So there's less build-up. Let's build up, let's build up. Yeah. I just wanted to say, I'm reading this book and exactly what you just said there reminded me, um, it said, in this case, the pain would be like a wild horse. Mm-hmm. And if you put the wild horse in a tiny pen, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, no. yeah. But then if you if you put yeah. it in a huge field, it's still yeah. there. But, yeah. but, and it'll still be like, but after yeah. a while, it, yeah. it will calm and it has more yeah. space. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great image for, for that um, same kind of experience. So just the, the widening of awareness just gives more space. Yeah, gives more space and less contraction and so less build up. So it doesn't mean the pain disappears, yeah, necessarily. But it it's got a different it's it doesn't take up all the space in in the mind and in the awareness. And that again stops the escalation. I'm just going to go through the, a few others, and then and then I'll I'll, I'll stop for questions again. Same thing. Um, well, another angle is the Vedana practice. Yeah, if we just if I notice the unpleasant, or I kind of wind back to the unpleasant, and I just stay with that unpleasant, it's an unpleasant sensation, unpleasant sensation, unpleasant sensation. Again, the escalation doesn't happen, and the build-up doesn't happen. And the anicca practice, the impermanence. 
you know, looking again, we're looking in a way that creates space because we're looking at the changeability which creates the space within the experience instead of the solidification. Yeah, Lissy. So, um, so say you've got a pain or something and mm. you do either one or both of those, um, so then it doesn't build up, so you'd still see it as unpleasant and you maybe want to stop it or avoid it, but you're just not having that, yeah. that large, so you're just seeing it as, yes, that's unpleasant, yes, I prefer if it wasn't there instead of being like... Yeah. Yeah, instead of, of getting to that place which we, we see ourselves getting to of like, I can't stand it, you know? Or sometimes we say, you know, the difference between I want something and I need something, yeah? So with aversion, you know, the difference between I want to be, I, I'd love it if, I, if, if the pain wasn't there, but I don't need it to go away, yeah? So that's, the, that's kind of, yeah, that's exactly the escalation that we're talking about. Yeah, great, thank you. Yes, Joanne. <laughs> I know you mentioned that one way to relax the body is to breathe into it. One way, yeah. One way. <clears throat> Are there any other ways? Yeah, I think any any way that you know of relaxing the body, so breathing, um, sometimes just if you if you do a, a kind of checking in of the body and you notice that you're holding tension somewhere, you know. Just finding a way to let it go. Sometimes if it's, you know, even if you, you do a little movement within the meditation, like that, you know, opening the palms, letting go of the holding. Um, you know, sometimes if there's a sense of a lot of tension built up in the body, actually doing a scan and, and gently with the awareness, not necessarily with the breath, the breath can be one way, the other with the awareness, just kind of softening and opening, softening and opening, softening and opening. Yeah. But any of these, you know, any of these will do it, you know, whether you're doing the, you're relaxing the body physically or you're using the awareness to expand or using the Vedana practice, just staying at that kind of pleasant, unpleasant with, with, the, with the initial experience or wherever you are in that chain. Or the, or the impermanence, just, just noticing the changeability. And often, you know, what we, what we see when we do these practices is that, again, what we're constantly doing, which is, you know, useful capacity of the mind, we need the mind to work this way in order to function in the world, but we, we narrow things down and we solidify them. And when we pay attention, we see that, for example, a pain in the body isn't just one sensation. Yeah, isn't just one thing. It, it, it fluctuates in intensity. It's got different um, types of sensation in it. You know, it's, it's more than just um, more than just one thing. And all of this, you know, again helps us to have less identification, less identification. So when we do, when we look in this way, when we practice this kind of way of looking, looking at the contraction, noticing contraction, and then um, finding ways to, to relax it or to ease it a little bit, um, we get, often, there's a sense of relief. There's a sense of relief. There's a sense of something um, kind of being dropped. Or a sense of letting go that comes with it. And again, it doesn't mean, if, we, if, we, if we'll stay with the example of the body pain, it doesn't mean that the pain goes away. It might decrease. It might go and come back. It might stay. 
but there can still be a sense of, of some release and some letting go even with that. And it can be um, interesting to inquire what, what is actually happening there. What is actually happening there? So one thing I said is there's usually a sense of more space, more spaciousness around experience. And another thing that I'll say um, here is that the experience, the sense of self, the flavor of the sense of self also changes. So when we have this kind of build-up of experience that I was speaking about, one thing that gets built up along with the experience of, um, you know, the push-pull and the contraction is the build-up of the self. Again, Nathan was talking about it yesterday. Self gets built up in there. And when we stop feeding that cycle, it all goes down. So all of these ways of working with the contraction, they all bring a degree of more ease to the experience. Again, a degree. <laughs> yeah, doesn't mean that we're suddenly completely in bliss. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes it can be a complete shift. And as has already been said, you know, the unpleasant can remain there. We can still, we can still have an unpleasant experience. But it doesn't necessarily lead to suffering. This is a really, really big insight. Unpleasant can be there. The suffering doesn't have to follow. It doesn't have to follow. And sometimes, and again, some people have been reporting this, looking at their experience, which may be something that we would normally label as unpleasant or negative, like you know, sadness, for example, and actually finding that it's not unpleasant. It's not unpleasant. And that the interest, the attention itself, shifts the relationship. Again, another quite subtle insight that, that can come. So that even something that's unpleasant can actually turn, change and become pleasant with that quality of interest and attention. And actually with physical pain, this often happens. Often happens. So that release, that letting go, Yes, mostly the movement of the letting go of what is called in, in um, Dharma language the clinging, yeah, which I've been calling the push-pull. And it's, you know, it's <laughs> so easy to see, <laughs> you know, clinging. And that's what, what's let go. And when we say clinging, it includes both the, the pushing away and the, and the hanging on of experience. It includes both. The clinging to, to whatever, you know, the clinging, clinging to experience, the clinging to views, the clinging to the sense of self. That is such a key aspect of our experience as humans. And in, in the Buddhist kind of way of looking at life, it's, it's what actually causes suffering. What actually causes suffering is that clinging creator of dukkha. 
And sometimes the, the Buddha's teachings is, is called liberation through non-clinging. We have a teacher who, who loves that phrase. I don't know how many of his talks are titled that. Liberation through non-clinging. That's often how the, the teachings, the Dharma, Dharma is spoken about. That's what, it's, that's what it's pointing towards, the liberation through non-clinging, which is what I've been talking about. Yeah? Cultivating that capacity to change the habit, yeah? to let go, to let go of the clinging. And as we let go of the clinging, we let go, we change that process of building up the self of building up that sense of solidity in ourselves. So this is very much the practice that we're engaged in here. It's very much the practice that we're engaged in here. And the silence and the mindfulness that is building up over time, yeah? And you may question (laughs) whether any mindfulness is being kind of built up over time you know sometimes we have a you know we have a sense that nothing's happening or it may be that particularly today there's that sense or in the last sitting there was that sense you know what, what mindfulness <laughs> what's she talking about and maybe everyone else has it but i'm not you know i'm not getting any but you know trust there's a, a silence and the mindfulness is building up and we can use that to increase the sensitivity to, to, that, to these subtle processes that are happening, and particularly the contraction, because that is often the most apparent, the easiest to notice in the mind and the body. And when we notice it, that basic attitude that we've been speaking of, of welcoming, yeah, so we don't kind of immediately, ah, contraction, let's get to work. You know, we take, take a moment or some moment, some minutes to actually relax with it, yeah? Welcome it, open to it, and bring that gentle quality of interest that we're cultivating here, gentle interest to that meeting. And then in a space that is not rejecting, yeah? A space that in itself is not rejecting, is not making a problem out of the contraction, Relaxing and easing the tension and the contraction as much as possible in all the, the ways that I've, not, I've, I've mentioned. And then, as we do that, not forgetting to also look at the result and what follows or what happens as a result of that relaxation of the contraction. Even if sometimes just the intention, yeah, that's actually a response to Joanna's question from before as well. Sometimes just that intention to relax, even if physically we're not able to do it or mentally we're not able to do it, but just that intention creates some space and, and it's a degree of letting go. And a degree of letting go, a degree of freedom. Yeah, a degree of freedom. Really important to remember that all of these things that we're talking about, they're a spectrum, they're not on-off. You know, it's not freedom, no freedom, (laughs) two options, binary. It's a spectrum. It's always a spectrum. Yes? What's that beautiful saying? Um, If you let go a little, you'll have a little freedom, is it? 
I know which saying you're, refer- you're referring to, but I can't remember. Do you remember? I think it's... Yeah, it's Ajahn Chah, I think. Completely illustrates what you said. Yeah. I can't remember it, sorry. But it's yeah, but it's that, yeah. A little bit of let it, yeah. If you let go a little, you get a little freedom. If you let go a lot, you get a lot of freedom. If you let go completely, you get complete freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thanks, Tony. And Claire. If you let go a little, you get a little freedom. If you let go a lot, you get a lot of freedom. If you let go completely, you get complete freedom. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> And a little freedom is a lot. <laughs> you know, really important to remember that as well. You know, a little freedom is a lot. So that's why, like, remembering that and that it's a spectrum. You know, we don't have to, you know, just focus on the complete. Yeah, we can just also really look for the moments and enjoy the moments and savor the moments when there's a little freedom. When there's some freedom, you know, we don't even need to measure it (laughs) when there's some freedom. But yeah, really beautiful, beautiful quote. So there's opportunities all the time to practice. You know, like I said, on retreat, it's so, so useful to do this because we have the mindfulness and the silence and the conditions. There's opportunities all the time. You know, we might be, I mean, here we're such a small group, it's not a big thing, but queuing up for food, you know, at mealtimes, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great opportunity. <laughs> you know, we're standing there and it's like, you know, why, you know, why haven't they got a longer table? You know, why isn't it set up better? You know, why is that person so mindfully serving themselves their soup, whatever it is, you know, we can see that tension building up, you know, and that clinging and that self-sense and that around nothing, you know. We know we're going to be fed. We know we're not going to be hungry. We know it's going to be delicious. You know, we know all of that, and yet there. So right there is the opportunity, you know, and laughing is a great way of also (laughs) easing tension and contraction. And often we see that if we just turn the attention, look what's happening in the mind. We can really laugh at ourselves. And that's all that needs to happen. You know, the whole thing tumbles. It's like a house of cards. Tumbles. And in those moments, when that happens, you know, when there's some degree of letting go and there's some degree of freedom, and we see that and we notice the effect to take time to also really look and feel the effect. You know, what's going on when I just stay? You know, I'll give a, another example. You know, we might be in here in the hall meditating and a wonderful fantasy is going on in the mind. <laughs> we really want to stay in the fantasy rather than come back to the breath or the body or the metaphrases or whatever the practices that we're doing. So what happens if we just stay with that Vedana of it, the feeling tone, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. We just stay with that. Just stay with that. And again, we feel that coming back down, coming back down. And we can notice, you know, what happens. And in that, even in that pleasant fantasy, taking time to notice the contraction in there and the suffering in there. Yeah, there will be suffering because the clinging itself is suffering. 
Yeah, the wanting to hold on. Don't take it away. <laughs> I don't want to go back to the breath. <laughs> In the clinging itself, there's the suffering. So noticing that and then noticing what happens with the letting go. What happens to the dukkha? What happens to the, to the dis-ease? What happens to the sense of space or urgency that there might be again in the food queue? You know, that sense of urgency. What happens with the attention? (laughs) And they're just relaxing back into the body. Yeah? What happens when we laugh? You know, what happens to the sense of space then? And what happens to the sense of self? Again, so looking at all of that, you know, these moments, you know, we're not just interested in seeing that things change. We're interested also in seeing how they change and what supports the change and what brings more suffering and what brings more joy and well-being. You know, all of these are things that we're deeply interested in. That's why we're doing the practice. And so what we begin to see and what we see increasingly more and more that all of these things arise together. Yeah. When there's clinging, when there's push-pull, there's a sense of self. When there's clinging and there's push-pull, there's suffering. They all arise together. And if we let go of one a little, the others also kind of are like a little bit like a inflatable meditation cushion that someone stuck a pin in. <laughs> They also deflate a little, lose their juice, lose their fuel. And so this, goodness, I thought this was going to be a short talk. (laughs) Okay, better speed up. So this, you know, this, this process and looking at this, in a relatively simple aspect of our experience, that either the Vedana or the contraction, it has, you know, it's very simple and we can see it fairly easily and it has incredible transformative potential. Yeah, it can really change our experience and it can really change our lives over time because we can see it and we can do something with it. Yeah, we can do something with it. And that's, again, something that we're really cultivating here. Really, really cultivating here. Learning how to do. Learning how to do. And over time, you know, we can work with it in the moment when it arises. And then as we're doing that, we're also working with it over time. You know, every time we work with it, we're we're weakening that habit. We're weakening that habit every time we're looking to see, you know, what is here? Where's the contraction? How can I release it? And what happens when I do? Yeah, all of these steps. Then we're weakening that habit, weakening that habit so that it's less immediate, less automatic and less strong. So I'd like to to give an example from a friend of mine of this again. 
hopefully not overdoing it, doing it with examples. But this was um, a friend of ours who um, was with us on a, on a trekking retreat that we were teaching in April in the, in the Himalayas in India. And, um, and, you know, like many of us, she has a tendency to quite low states of mind. That's her kind of, her tendency. Um, so one day uh, we, were, we were walking uh, we'd left our camp and we stopped about after about 45 minutes to have a little break and a rest. And she was feeling very tired that day. And um, as she sat down to rest, um, she, was, she was noticing what was going on in her mind. And what was going on in her mind was the sense of tiredness, feeling the physical tiredness, um, feeling that that was unpleasant, and uh, having aversion to both the unpleasantness and the actual experience of tiredness. And that solidifying the experience, making the tiredness seem even more intense. And then the papancha train beginning that Nathan mentioned, the proliferation of thought around it of like, oh my goodness, you know, we've only walked 45 minutes and we have... You know, they never tell us how long we're going to be walking for, but I know now that it's going to be at least, you know, four or five hours until we reach the camp. And, you know, how are they going to do this? You know, that the camp behind us has disappeared. There's only the camp in front. I don't know where it is, you know, real and a real sense of, um, you know, this build up, build up, build up of suffering and a real sense of what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And so she was, she had, you know, there was enough silence, enough mindfulness to see that this process was going on. And the seeing created enough space for a question to arise. It's kind of, what are my options? <laughs> kind of, what can I do with this? You know, I can't not walk and I can't um, get rid of the tiredness. You know, they're, they're kind of given, given things. And she remembered something we'd spoken about um, a day or two before in, in, in a talk about this kind of possibility of noticing the contraction and letting go and she was sitting on the earth in a beautiful forest and a phrase popped up in her mind and the phrase was what if I just let go into the earth right now what if I just let go into the earth and what if I become the earth, followed on from that? And as she kind of sat there and these reflections were coming, arising, it really transformed her experience. And she just felt like just letting go into the earth, just letting go into the earth. And so when the bell rang, stood up again, carried on walking. The experience had completely shifted from a sense of tiredness, of contraction, of aversion, to openness and joy. And she was really open to feel the forest around her and feel the earth below. And that carried on the whole day, (laughs) the whole day. Just that sense of letting go into the earth and this joy and openness. And I think it's, I mean, I've used this example so many times since, (laughs) 
since um, this happened, which was the end of April, because it's so potent and so beautiful and so clear. Just that tiny little shift in the moment. Yeah, that tiny little shift from that process of build-up with the unpleasant tiredness. And the tiredness hadn't changed, of course. You know, it's not that someone, you know, suddenly got a boost of energy. That actual physical experience hadn't changed. But that shift from the continuing cycle of building up more contraction, more aversion, more self, more suffering. Just a tiny little shift to something that gave some some space. Some space and lessen the contraction. And the interesting thing, I'm doing this because Nathan usually does this. I'm stealing it. Hopefully you weren't going to use it tomorrow. Is that often we think, you know, in the moment, we're just taking a tiny little shift. It's tiny. It's almost imperceptible. But over time, there's that little angle. It leads in a completely different direction. Completely different direction. So things unfold completely differently. And that's liberation through non-clinging. That example right there. That's liberation through non-clinging. Seeing enough in the moment and having enough inspiration and trust and space to get off that cycle, to get off that cycle, or to just do a tiny little shift even, you know, it's not a big dramatic thing, a tiny little shift, and to find ourselves somewhere completely different, completely different. I spoke the other day about um, this American teacher who teaches in the Tibetan tradition, one of the Tibetan traditions called Elizabeth Matisse Namgyal. And recently um, I came across uh, another one of her teachings that's really, really um, struck me. And it's also a, a practice of cultivating this non-clinging. And she's sharing the story um, of being with a friend of hers um, who was dying of cancer. And he was a a very, um, very, very dedicated practitioner and also a very key person in their spiritual community um, administratively. So he was like a a big organizer. And... and, um, She's, during the last month of his life, she spent um, every afternoon with him. And she describes it uh, really beautifully. She said, you know, he was, he was super organized. So he was managing his, his illness and his death um, very well. You know, he actually had a clipboard <laughs> um, next to his bed and, you know, with all the medication and the food. And, the, um, and he was also very uh, passionate about passing on all the information about the organization that needed to pass on. So she would sit with him every afternoon and the first part of the afternoon, you know, said 30, 40 minutes, he would, um, you know, just give her information about 
things that needed to be taken care of, what needed to be done, how to do this, how to do that. And then after 30 or 40 minutes, he would say, all right, that's enough now. Now let's practice dying. And they would sit together in silence, closing their eyes, practicing dying. And she, when she speaks about this, she says some of the most profound practice of her life, um, you know, actually sitting with someone for whom this was so real, so close, and practicing that letting go, that letting go. And she suggests it as a practice for all of us, you know, just to take time to actually feel if right now, you know, if I could feel that lightening in the body, I, I knew that death was that close. What would I let go of? What would I let go of? And it doesn't need to even come up mentally, but just that sense of letting go, of practicing dying. And a friend that told me about this, she's a student of, of this teacher, um, she told me that she does it every night. Last thing, she's lying in bed. Last thing every night. And she practices dying. She practices this. Letting go. Letting go. What can I let go of? And I know we've all probably heard stories, you know, about often people who know that their death is close. And if the conditions are right, they become so light, yeah, that everything that isn't essential drops away. Everything that isn't essential drops away. And, you know, we have a lot of books and beautiful, beautiful teachings about this, you know, that people who know they're about to die. And, you know, they speak about what really matters, what stays with you in that moment and what doesn't. So just that capacity, and if we can bring that in, because you know, we're talking about Anicca today, impermanence, and one of the translations of this word, Anicca, is uncertainty. It's not just impermanence, it's not just that things are changing, it's the uncertainty of everything, of the human condition. And often in the teachings they say there's only one thing that's certain, only one, and that's death. So, you know, I just spoke about people who know they're about to die, but actually we're all going to die. Yeah, so that's, that's there. And so if we can include that practice, a real, it could be a real vehicle for, for liberation, for awakening, for non-clinging, for letting go for us. That question, what can I let go of right now? Another way of practicing it. And what I find with this practice of, you know, practicing dying, practicing letting go, practicing non-clinging, is that we find that when we let these things die, when we let ourselves die, we discover that we're dying into something. Yeah. 
not into nothing. And in our case, possibility through practice to, to die into life. Yeah, to die into life. So I'd like to to close with a, a short piece from this wonderful book that someone gave me recently, which is called Tattoos on the Heart. And it's, uh, it's written by a man called Gregory Boyle, who's a um, Jesuist, Jesuist priest, who I think when he wrote this book had worked for about 25 years um, in some of the poorest and very, very poor areas of, of Los Angeles, um, working with, with um, people in gangs. So gang, gang boys and girls. And, yeah, it's full of really amazing stories and this is one which really, to me, illustrates this capacity that we have to die into life, no matter who we are, no matter the circumstances of our lives. So, this is um, Gregory Boyle speaking. On a Saturday in 1996, I am set to baptize George at Camp Mons, which is some kind of detention camp. He delays doing this because he only wants me to do it. He also wants to schedule the event to follow his successful passing of his um, high school exams. I know 17-year-old George and his 19-year-old brother Cisco. They're both gang members from a barrio in the projects. But I've only really come to know George over his nine-month stint in this camp. I've watched him move gradually from his hardened posturing to being a man in possession of himself and his gifts. The Friday night before George's baptism, Cisco, his older brother, is walking home before midnight when the quiet is shattered, as it so often is in his neighbourhood, by gunshots. Some members of a rival gang creep up and open fire and Sisko falls in the middle of the street and is killed instantly. I don't sleep much that night. It occurs to me to cancel my presence at the Mass the next morning at Camp Munz to be with Sisko's grieving family. But then I remember his brother George and his baptism. It is the most difficult baptism of my life, for as I pour water over George's head, Father, Son, Spirit, I know that when we finish, I will walk George outside alone and tell him what happened. And as I do, I put my arm around him. I whisper gently as we walk out into the baseball field, George, Your brother Sisko was killed last night. I can feel all the air leave his body as he heaves a sigh that finds itself a sob in an instant. We land on a bench. He sobs quietly. 
Most notable is what isn't present in his rocking and gentle wailing. I've been in this place before many times. There is always flailing and rage and promises to avenge things. There is none of this in George. It is as if the commitment he has just made in the baptism has taken hold and his grief is pure and true. It is the heartbreak of God. George offers proof of the efficacy of this thing we call sacrament. And he manages to hold all the complexity of this great sadness right here on this bench in his tender weeping. In the monastic tradition, the highest form of sanctity is to live in hell and not lose hope. George clings to his hope and his faith and his GED certificate, his high school certificate, and chooses to march resilient into his future. So this is possible for all of us, yeah, to die into life and to die into our own vastness, beyond the limits of our conditioning, our history, our past experience, but to die into the vastness. So let's have a quiet minute together to close. May our practice lead us to ever-expanding moments of vastness, of knowing what is possible for all of us. May we take each opportunity to increase our understanding of this human life, to let go into freedom and to serve all beings everywhere. So thank you for your listening and your presence.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.